You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, your home of student-powered radio for the last 50 years, and we're very lucky to be joined by UNE's very own Kate Dowd, who has just published a new book this year, uh, Digital Journalism, Drones and Automation. How are you today? Hello, Jake. Thank you. Uh, would you like to give us a little bit of a background uh, around the book before we start and delve into some of the, the ideas that are actually in the book? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, look, the book really is a, a product of research uh, that's gone on for several years, and uh, it's culminated uh, in, indeed, a book. Uh, it started at CSU, to be honest, uh, where we've just heard the Radio National News from uh, CSU comes out of 2MCE there, so that's quite interesting in itself. Um, but look, it's a, a, it's a, a long-term project that has uh, uh, arrived, uh, as we say. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't have a great launch because the uh, COVID restrictions have meant uh, uh, there was just a small launch here locally, but uh, there will be a launch coming up uh, hopefully uh, later in the year maybe or early next year in Sydney as well. So that's a bit of the background to it. But uh, look, I can tell you quite a lot around uh, some of the topics in it. There's uh, topics ranging from integrated media systems, which of course um, we know we're using every day now in studios. Uh, also the uh, issues around media ownership and the problems of cloud servers and big data uh, and that sort of intersection between cloud servers and uh, a sharing of data at the back end. So in particular between, say, uh, people like Rupert Murdoch and Zuckerberg, so the fa Facebook social media. There's some of the things that are covered in the book. So. Well, that's a, a very interesting point. The first one that you brought up was integrated media. For, for those of us who maybe aren't one of your students or, or aren't doing media, what, is, what exactly is integrated media? Well, it can be different things to different people and it depends on what kind of setup you're using, but they are systems effectively um, that provide interconnectivity. So a reporter, for example, in the past, not so long ago, might have gone out and um, done a story using just, you know, the recording equipment, come back into a studio and uploaded that to be, you know, put through the publishing system with the editors and sub-editors and so on. Um, but now that is actually done, can be done in real time. And in fact, it was done in real time. And I talk about this a lot in the book, uh, in one of the chapters on the reporting of the European um, refugee crisis, uh, circa 2015, where uh, essentially you can upload from your mobile phone and smartphone in real time. Uh, using the software that's now pretty much in that mobile environment. So it's, it's quite a shift because it means that journalists don't have to actually, um, you know, come back into the studio. It takes out a layer, if you like, of the process for the, for the journos. Uh, and it provides more real-time information. Um, so in the, the first wave, if you like, which is also discussed in the book, is around participatory media, where, of course, citizen journalists were uh, the most popular. And then... Uh, you know, as as times evolve, participatory media has been appropriated to some extent um, by journalists themselves, and they have their own very high end back end systems that they can use in participatory sort of ways. So, um, but you know, the book does delve into a lot of uh, contemporary terms around data. So, semantic search is uh, discussed in there. Um, most people won't know what that is, but indeed they're probably using it every day when they Google something. Um, so it's a way of structuring data uh, and it provides more context and meaning for you know those who are doing their searches. And 
you know, there's good examples that you can see online of this when you, you look, the structure is quite different than it used to be, say, 10 years ago. And for media organisations, they, they need a similar kind of um, process. But, you know, uh, effectively the book is saying uh, journalism doesn't actually have all those systems, but news does. And there's a difference between news and what journalists journalists do. And so I guess a, an interesting point for me that's in that in the book is that um, there is op- there are opportunities for uh, journalists to play a part in ethics, if you like, embedded into algorithms. And of course, uh, Oxford uh, Reuters Institute in the UK uh, have been looking at those kinds of uh, areas as well. Uh, but in Australia, we still need to do that. So there's a lot of work to be done, I think. So the book provides literally, it's got a blue cover. It's also a bit of a blueprint, I think. Um, so uh, that, that covers, uh, yeah, semantic search. Atomised data is another area. And you might be wondering why does that matter? Because ultimately, um, you know, these are the techniques that are at the back end that are impacting on the way we think about language as well, because semantics is obviously about language. So when you search for something, what are you really looking for? Uh, you know, someone has added a, a, va- a human value to, to this particular uh, ranking, if you like. And um, I mean, we can talk about that in a little while if you like, but there is a thing called the rank brain that Google have called, it's a rank brain. So it's a ranking, uh, but it's not just the old ranking that used to be around. Um, and, and that's covered a little bit too, so that, um, you know, there's some understanding of, of artificial intelligence in the book uh, and, and how that's impacting on processes in journalism as well, right down to traffic and online methods. So covering a real uh, broad array of aspects then, you mentioned earlier as well, and I know it's uh, the listeners will know it's a point of interest for me and my shows, and it's a point of interest at the moment with the little yellow alerts we're seeing coming up on Google and YouTube here in Australia, Rupert Murdoch. How is um, how is he engaged with this new kind of social media and search and okay. data? And well, there, there's mo- uh, multiple sections and a couple of chapters on this in the book. Um, so, I mean, I encourage people to, to read it. Um, and I can probably just mention if people do want to read it in Armadale, at least you can go down to Reader's Companion and they'll order it for you. Um, but Rupert uh, it comes up on a number of occasions, uh, in particular uh, with his acquisition of uh, a small company called Storyful in Ireland um, that he paid about 21, 22 million for. And the idea of that company was to verify social media stories for news. He saw great benefit in uh, you know, the acquisition of that company. And within two years of owning it, he turned it into a brand's uh, business, so it went from being a verification industry. But the interesting point that I I discovered through my research on that was that in effect that was one of the wedges, if you like, that was also fragmenting journalism. So the I, I refer to it as the low key of journalism. So the low key of journalism was shifting uh, away from like the cuts to journalism were widespread globally, and those kinds of activities, um, you know, were playing a big part, a significant part in those cuts. So whilst it's technology, we can't just say it is technology on its own. It's very much about technology and partnerships and the realliance, if you like, of these uh, different corporates like uh, Rupert did with Storyful. So to extend that story a little bit more, you might be wondering still, how does that fit with social media? Well, indeed, um, 
Story 4 was a stepping stone in some regards to then entering into partnerships with Facebook. And those partnerships uh, included um, pro various projects, so um, Facebook uh, news journalism. So these are actually specific uh, journalism projects within Facebook. So when we look at the current issues that are on our, uh, that I only just touched on briefly, but they've emerged since I wrote the book, uh, it's not surprising that those tr uh, issues around uh, from the ACCC, for example, that we've got now have come to light because the background to, to really those kinds of stories is, is pretty much what my book is about. Right. Well, if you're not sold yet, we're going to keep talking to uh, Kate Dowd very briefly uh, when, oh, sorry, not very briefly, very shortly, uh, when we uh, come back about a little bit more about what's going on in this new book, Digital Journalism, Drones and Automation. As we've said, you can head down to Reader's Companion and get a copy if you're already interested. But we're going to go to a song that Kate has requested uh, here on Tune FM just now. When we come back, we'll continue talking with Kate Dowd. But this is Wordy Rapping Hood by Tom Tom. Club. That was Wordy Rapping Hood by Tom Tom Club. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, your home of student-powered radio for the last 50 years. We're back with UNE's very own Kate Dowd to talk about her wonderful new book. Uh, we're going to uh, talk a little bit further about what we were talking about before. Data. Yes, yeah. data. Why is data so important? Well, I mean, d data is everything really, isn't it? Uh, these days it's a commodity. Um, but I think uh, the point about data is that we can actually uh, flip data a little bit and think about ways to use it differently. So for journalism, for example, we could be doing that. Uh, so when we think about fake news, um, there are lots of projects where uh, we've had uh, projects like CrowdTangle uh, involved with uh, news, first draft news and so on to verify, you know, to find out what is fake news. A lot of those projects are, are developed by uh, people like Google. Uh, so look, it's really important to understand that that kind of ownership has a bit of a, a bit of a conflict in it. And so for journalists, they're possibly they either go with it and and sort of, you know, play the game with the tech giants um, or they somehow oppose it. The, the second option is not much of an option to oppose it. So again, we get back to this point that's come out recently around the ACCC as well, having to, you know, do things like, you know, suggest charging news, um, you know, for, for use, which will have great impacts uh, on, on news, believe me. But it, I don't really talk a lot about that in the in the book. What I talk about is the background to, to what has led to this situation. And I think the point of data is that it can be used to fight back. But in order to do that, journalism has to develop its own data. Yeah, so it has its own systems. And that takes an ontological approach. And that leads us, of course, into things like, you know, redesigning entire systems for the future. And you've mentioned in your book, uh, designing games. Now, where does that fit into everything? Well, so so game design fits in exactly because what 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 game design allows you to do is to explore the world, yeah, that that, that is the journalism world and how it intersects with 
public relations, how it intersects with social media, and and from there you can actually uh, you know make some discernments about what's public relations, what's uh, uh, social media, and what's what's news and what's journalism. And indeed, I have actually done that for my PhD. So to some extent, that research is done, and that's covered. Some of that comes through in the game design discussion in the book. Um, so look, there's great uh, examples where you have lists of uh, semantic. Uh, a list of semantics for journalism and a list of semantics for public relations. And there's some similar words and, of course, they've got completely different meanings. No surprise. So PR's, you know, using uh, its words in a spin sense often and journalism is trying to use them to present, you know, fair, balanced, honest stories and so on and make uh, governments accountable and do all the things that it has to do. So uh, so the, the point here is around the relevance between data and semantics and to have semantics you have to have data and you have to understand what's in your world. If you haven't actually defined your world uh, and created even a tag as data, so then you've got nothing. Yeah. So that's what journalists, I think, that's what I'm proposing in the book, could consider doing for the future um, to, to then take control, some control, uh, through these uh, points around algorithms and ethics embedded into algorithms. And, and they can't do that until they actually do know their own world, their own domain. So it's a, it's a question around ontology engineering. Uh, so data and ontology engineering, building up that kind of these specs around uh, the world that you're actually, um, you know, hoping that you can develop for such exotic things like emotion engines even, you know, like or uh, synthetic game players uh, in games for learning. So that you know, that's exactly what a, um, you know, a game is. It's a, it's a, it's a finite state kind of machine. It's it has a set of rules, or it has a set of uh, AI that's sort of teaching it, you know, the machine itself to learn to compete with you. Uh, and by exploring journalism through that particular uh, set of ideas, you can you can come up with a lot of tac- take uh, tacit knowledge and make it explicit. You mentioned emotion engines there. How yes, does that Yes, oh, fit? I threw in emotion engines. Well, emotion engines are actually uh, being used in games. Uh, so game engines are, are playing around with emotions. Facebook's also playing with emotions, uh, not just through like buttons, but they have whole, uh, you know, a back research sort of world of, of emotions. Um, so, look, it's part of AI and uh, it's, it's not as fantastical as you might think. You know, it's really uh, just exploring once again those uh, you know the ways that people think and the ways that people uh, respond and of course most of us are well dare I say it we're suckers for things and we don't know sometimes that you know we're falling into those things and Facebook's a classic example where we have peer um, you know uh, performance sort of uh, behaviours online uh, amongst our our peers and so on Um, so yeah that's uh, I mean look the book does have a chapter so that's what I'm here really rather than try and tell you exactly what's in the book otherwise you won't go and buy the book <laughs> so uh, yeah so there's a bit about there. there there are the examples I've I've produced in the book are um, sort of like based on finite state machines and but what they've done is they've used a they're built from a participatory model so that when I say participatory I ran workshops with journalists to actually uh, come up with these kind of possibilities rather than like just something that I made up out of my own head so they they though 
those ideas were developed, if you like, from from participatory research. And I think that's really important and that that's what probably could continue more participatory research around uh, the behaviours of journalists um, in terms of the way, you know, well, to just to define their domain, but also the way that they they work and the functions in society. And the book actually includes drawings done by journalists. Can you tell us a little bit about how that worked? Yeah, well, that was fabulous, really, because um, journalists don't normally. Uh, well, the ones I, I was uh, that were in my workshop, they 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 were not used to doing drawings, but they uh, found it really interesting um, to start sort of thinking about their world in that way. And in in doing that, they um, they also were able to label things. So there we get the first hint or clue of of potential tags for the future. Future. So drawings like were done by investigative journalists who'd worked in conflict zones and, uh, you know, knew the scenarios. So if, for example, you're in a conflict zone uh, somewhere in the Middle East and, you know, you've got American dollars in your pocket, do you give them to someone who's holding a gun, you know, in front of you and so on? Or if an authority comes up and says, don't, sh- you know, don't film, uh, you know, do you take the risk, all those decision-making things that are going on, do you take the the risk of uh, actually filming in a in a conflict zone, or you know, go be put in prison. So the, the journalists who participated had extensive experience in in real world journalism, and I think that's what really was valuable because I think uh, more and more we do have um, the you know syndication and syndication of stories online, uh, and that that can become a problem for journalism training uh, as well if you're not actually getting out and doing stories and doing interviews. Um, yeah, so it's a slightly different world uh, to some extent, but you know there is still a great need for investigative journalists, and of course we know we need also you know foreign correspondents in countries where um, sometimes they're they're at risk, um, and so the book also includes um, some ideas for protecting journalists, so systems, future systems that might protect journalists, um, because there are a range of issues around um, journalists using sort of mobile technology as well and tracking. So tracking's always been discussed in uh, this conversation uh, and so you know the need for some new design thinking yeah is essential I think for the new world. That would have been very interesting people to talk to as well investigative journalists in such a... Oh look they were cl- they were classic they were fabulous uh, you know I, I mean I can probably name some of them because there's no particular drawing attached to the particular journalists but you know uh, people like David Brill from SBS Dateline uh, participated and people from Four Corners on uh, the ABC uh, as well as some regular journos as well so it was it was quite a mixed batch and um, really insightful fantastic sort of set of workshops. Oh, that's very interesting to hear about. So once again, we are speaking to UNE's very own Kate Dowd about her new book that has been published this year, Digital Journalism, Drones and Automation. You can pick up your copy from Reader's Companion if you're interested. We'll be right back. We've got another song requested by Kate up next. This is Paranoia by The Art of Noise and Max Headroom. Relax. Paranoia by The Art of Noise with Max Headroom. You are listening to 106.9 Tune FM and we're back with UNE's very own Kate Dowd talking about her new book. We've been talking about some of the uh, advancements and the use of technology in journalism and in news and we can talk a little bit about drones, I think, now. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, drones drones are covered in a couple of sections in the book. So there is a, an entire chapter on drones. Um, there's also a section on drones used in the European refugee crisis 
crisis or asylum seeker crisis. Uh, and I think that's really fascinating the way that drones were not only used um, for reporting, because there were quite a few instances of them being used for reporting, uh, especially, you know, the trails of people, refugees through the European landscape, but they were used to also uh, save people's lives by, um, you know, sending them out uh, into the water when boats were kind of just offshore to, to try and locate um, actual refugees during the 2015-2016 period. So, um, look, drones are covered in in a practical sense uh, in terms of reporting. Uh, and then there's also a lot of insights about drones as uh, in terms of regulations uh, and what's required as a controller if you want to become a controller or an operator. But in context of journalism, increasingly the story is that um, uh, drone operations and controlling is, is um, farmed out, if you like, because it's actually uh, quite onerous to get through the hoops to qualify. And I put myself through those hoops just to see what the challenges were. And that, you know, stretched out over about two years of training, because when I first started, there were uh, there was no actual drone sort of exam. It was the private pilot's licence um, theory, PPL theory, um, for flying aeroplanes. And, of course, you know, that's not what I was really planning on doing. But um, And then they modified the exam, so I finally sat uh, that exam as well. Um, but, yeah, look, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of rules around drones. I think you've had conversations on your own programs, uh, as I recall, listening one or two times and yeah. hearing about drones. So, um, you know, there's a lot of issues from geofencing right through to uh, no-fly zones and, and so on. Um, but yeah, look, as I said, I think, you know, people like Mark Corcoran from the ABC, he's probably, you know, a really outstanding uh, uh, pioneer in this field in Australia. Uh, programs at the BBC, uh, you know, have also, uh, you know, led the way with uh, the use of drones. So making sure that there's guidelines and policy and so on for journalists as well uh, to do that. And not just drones, but robots as well. You've uh, you've got a, a segment in your book about robots. Well, actually, I don't really have a section about <laughs> robots, but it's interesting that it's come up. There are a few references to robots, uh, and the point really is to make a distinction between automation and robots, because a lot of people think when you talk about uh, digital journalism in the future that it's going to be robotic and so on, or automated, they merge the two, and I'm just really saying, well, no, they're, they're not the same. You can't expect a robot, like, you know, to turn up to the, the Sydney Morning Herald to, you know, do a crime story. I don't think that's going to be ever happening. Um, but there was a robot, uh, I think it was in Japan, uh, that could write 300 character, a 300-character article in one second. Okay, so, but the point really here is, uh, oh, but it could not do, um, could not conduct face-to-face -face interviews. So, uh, but the point really is around uh, automation and the uh, the extent at which accelerated processing is happening, and um, and what automation really means, and that really is more about it gets back to the semantics that we were talking about before, and uh, and logic and the and the way that algorithms are, you know. Con developed and constructed um, to be able to uh, do things like matching, cross-matching and, and, and to build machine intelligence. So there's some intersections here between terms like automation, machine intelligence and machine learning. Uh, and I think the book makes a reasonable 
good distinction between those areas, including things like NLP, natural language processing, and how that is um, at work in um, cloud service. So there's a whole range of kind of uh, computations that are that are happening there. And the book actually ends on a point around the effects or the, the potential impact of computations on language uh, that's unprecedented and what it's actually doing to language. Because through the atomization of data, not just through cloud servers, there is this change and shift in the way that language is being, you know, uh, shared, if you like, and distributed. So it's affecting the the processing uh, at the back end, cloud servers, and the way it's shared. Uh, and of course, every segment of, and I use that word deliberately, segment, every segment of information of a tag that's about uh, an online user uh, has a has a value assigned to it. And that's where the, the tech giants have tapped into and has left journalism for dead, literally, uh, in terms of all, all journalism has been able to do is be reactive to those things. And by that I mean it's been reactive insofar as here are the statistics on the debt traffic online and here's the popularity of this journalist and that journalist and this is what's guiding and, and that's, that's what's got to kind of stop to some extent to preserve the values of journalism uh, in the online environment. And, to, and the, so, you know, so there's a lot to, to develop, but I think that it's not impossible to start thinking about the, the way that data is important for journalism in the future. Very interesting stuff. We briefly talked about what was happening with the with the ACCC and the um, for those of us who, who don't know what that is, the little um, yellow consumer competition. Yeah, yeah. The, the little yellow um, exclamation mark. You're probably getting all over your Google pages. <laughs> Can you briefly explain what that has to do with everything for somebody who's not um, in, in who's not a media student or a, a journalism student? What's actually going on there? Uh, sorry, which bit? The, the yellow... The the ACCC and the, the yellow tags with what Google and YouTube are now yeah, trying well, to Yeah, I haven't actually Australia. seen the yellow tags yet. So, uh, okay. but, but uh, and so, I, yeah, so look, I think this is early days. They could have blue tags by tomorrow. Um, but I, I do know this much, that is that, um, you know, they will try and use a bargaining approach. And I think that just seems a little bit fraught to me that we've come to that. And also when they talk about tech giants, um, really I think they may have missed, they might want to go and read some of my book because they might have missed this point around Rupert Murdoch's uh, engagement with social media. And in a way that's an old media mogul still pulling the strings if you like. So I, I think there's a, it's been downplayed this uh, this intersection between the, the news media giants and the tech giants. Uh, and actually in the middle of all that is probably the smaller players um, and the public broadcasters who are going to pay the price um, mm. rather than uh, any of those others. Well, once again, if somebody's very interested in your book from what they've heard uh, over the last uh, 30 minutes or so, where can they get a copy? Uh, well, I think Reader's Companion in Armadale is the way. Otherwise, it's online. Oxford University Press. It's uh, Oxford University Press publication 2020. Just uh, look for the OUP uh, site and put my name in there and you'll, it'll come up. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much and thanks for listening. Uh, we'll get uh, into a, a third song that you've requested as well. Uh, this one is The Robots by Kraftwerk. Uh, don't go anywhere. After this, we will have another song from 1990s. Tune continues to celebrate our 50 years of history. Just a quick reminder that I've been asked to put in as well that there will be uh, advocacy and welfare giving out uh, meal kits 
uh, coming up very soon. You can find out the information uh, if you'd like to come along and get a free meal kit at the Advocacy and Welfare Facebook page. That's a wonderful initiative, so to make sure you take advantage of that. This is The Robots by Craftwork. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM.